Welcome back to the Eyes Have It podcast with your host, Brent Hershey, and me, Chris Blessing. How are you doing today, Brent? Doing well, Chris. Uh, enjoying the uh, little bit warmer weather. How are you? I'm enjoying the actual cooler weather here in Georgia, so I'm 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 great. Wow. It's only it's going to be sub eighty today, so like that's a great thing, and pretty much for the whole week. So we have a great show lined up this week. Getting into a few of our live looks, but first we'll break down some of the news and notes within the prospect world and discuss Alec Manoa's MLB debut. What did you think about that debut, Brent? That was uh, that was. Quite impressive uh, for a first-timer checking out Manoa. I know that uh, you have some history with him, so we'll uh, compare some notes on that. Uh, First, as always, I'd like to thank all of our listeners uh, for coming back again. Uh, If you enjoy the show, please spread the word. Let your friends uh, know about us. And always, as always, feel free to reach out with questions. We'd love to have uh, a mailbag section at some point. You can reach both of us by email. Uh, at theeyeshabit at baseballhq.com or find us on Twitter. Chris is at C underscore blessing and I'm at Brent HQ. But uh, with that out of the way, let's get rolling, Chris. Yeah. Um, would we like to do a little rundown of maybe just one news and note for uh, our listeners today? Yeah, I think something that uh, someone had brought up and I had thought about it too is that we should uh, touch on some of these uh, different rules uh, that are going on at the different levels, uh, kind of out the, the, the rule testing that's going on at different levels of uh, the minors. And so today we're going to uh, take a quick look at two that are happening in uh, A-ball. Yeah, um, the first one's actually in low A uh, Southeast, which would be the old Florida State League for all you uh, – people who used to follow the high A. This is now a low A league, and it's teams like Tampa and uh, Dundon and uh, St. Lucie. Those those teams that we were used to seeing in high A are now in this division. And uh, low A Southeast is uh, using an automated strike zone, which is something that we've only seen in the Arizona Fall League in prior years. And I'll be honest, Brent, I thought that testing an automated strike zone in uh, low A might have been the worst possible place to do that at, uh, uh, given how terrible uh, pitching is down there. Really, truly, we've got uh, the walk rate was in the sevens to start the season, and it's kind of come down all the way to like five walks, a, 5.5 walks a game, which is uh, comparable to what low A uh, East, which is uh, uh, teams like um, – Canapolis and there's uh, Augusta, those type of teams, which is uh, at 4.5. So it's only been worth about a uh, one walk a game. Surprises me, and obviously it surprises you as well. Yeah, I I, I know too that especially starting off uh, the, uh, that they had some the uh, gap between the uh, that low A league, the Southeast, and some of the other ones, uh, and the history history of low a there were a lot of walks so they must have uh, worked some kinks out uh in the system but i'm but i'm also with you it seems very curious to me that they would sort of test this automated strike zone system uh at what is right now kind of the you know the lowest full season uh level where pitchers are still uh you know young and and uh command of uh, uh, you know command of their stuff 
is still kind of in progress. Yeah, actually, um, I, I just thought of this. Uh, the reason why it's low A Southeast and not another low A or another double A or whatever is that the equipment's already there uh, because of spring training. So uh, yeah. I, I, I'm assuming that these teams, they probably had to install it in Daytona. But beyond that, it's all, you know, spring training fields uh, that they're using. So maybe yeah. that has something to do with it. But, you know, I know that the in double A, a lot of the a lot of the technology has gotten a lot better there. Uh, I think every double A team is now video. So yeah. uh, which before only triple A and we're starting to see a lot of teams um go away from scouting the upper levels because the video is so good and the video is there so the other stat that we were looking at is uh in high a west uh so we're talking about what used to be the northwest league all the way up uh teams like hillsborough and spokane and vancouver uh and high a uh west has been uh experimenting with uh know that you had to step off the rubber um, to make a pickoff move. And we've seen an actual uh, increase in stolen bases in this league. And mind you, it's a six-team league compared to High A East, which is a 12-team league. So like High A East, total stolen bases are 290 in the, in the you know normal league, I guess you would call it. But in High A West, it's 235 um, total. So then you break this down, and on average in a High A East game, each team stealing a base uh, every game. That, that's what it comes out to. But in high A West, it's closer to two stolen bases per team in a game. So we're seeing four stolen bases total. And we're actually seeing some teams still not really run that much. Uh, but teams like Hillsborough and Spokane, they're running all the time. Hillsborough has significantly more stolen bases than any other affiliate in all of baseball. Um so, like, we're seeing that come a, come across, but, like, the guys stealing the bases on Hillsborough, they're not some of the biggest names. They're guys that are uh, mostly, in, you know, what you would call organizational guys. Uh, there's a catcher that has stolen six bases and eight attempts already. Uh, so, it, it looks like Hillsborough is just running at will. Uh, but you know, we kind of want to make this comparison because we want to look at the other leagues really, because those stolen base numbers aren't inflated. Uh, and so when you see an Oswald uh, Peraza, who's a player that uh, is in high A East, a player that Brent will get to see later this year with Hudson Valley, his 15 stolen bases and 16 attempts is under normal conditions. And Peraza is a much bigger prospect than any of the guys that are on the leaderboard for uh, high A West. So when you're looking for stolen bases, please, you know, maybe avoid guys from high A West until maybe some scouting reports come out. Yeah, it's a, it, it, the whole the whole thing, um, you know, certainly uh, has an effect on us as <clears throat> fantasy players. The idea, I think, behind it is. You know, is there ways to get more, you know, action into games? And uh, and by having the step-off rule, uh, the idea is to kind of create these, you know, more stolen bases. But as we especially go on from here and look at, you know, look at players' history, say, a year or two from now, given that this is high A, uh, you know, several several levels away from the majors, as we 
you know, think about in the future, kind of comparing and and uh, looking at uh, these players' stats from high A, we might, uh, you know, it's going to be easy uh, to say, to, to, to fall into that trap of like, oh, this guy stole, you know, 30 bases in high A back in, uh, back in 2021 uh, as we're evaluating uh, his, you know, this player's fantasy potential now that he is, you know, in double A or triple A and, and uh, we're putting him on, ranking him on lists or uh, setting up, uh, you know, tiers for players. But it will be, uh, you know, it will be imperative for us to remember that 2021 is, is when, uh, when they had these rules in play that, that made it easier for uh, guys to steal bases. Now, perhaps, you know, if this creates what uh, they want it to and more action, maybe those rules will be uh, spread to some other leagues and, and maybe there will be some, maybe that rule itself or some uh, fashion of it uh, will be employed kind of at the higher levels with, with the possibility of it being uh, implemented at the majors at some point. But, uh, but I just think it's a, you know, it's going to be an interesting thing to keep in mind both this season as we see these stolen base totals uh, and in the seasons to come as we're evaluating uh, these guys for fantasy purposes. Yeah, I kind of look at it like I've always kind of looked at Asheville and home runs. Uh, for people who are not yeah. familiar with Asheville, Asheville has a uh, high monster that's super close uh, in right field. Um, so like, uh, or is it left field? I forget which one, but um, power gets inflated there because of that. Uh, and I yeah. always go back to Ian Stewart hitting 30 home runs there. And I know in the major leagues he hit 25, but um, 30 home runs at that time where he didn't even come close in other hitter-friendly environments. Uh, uh, that's a bunch of fly balls that got out that would not have been out anywhere else. Um, yeah. So, like, you got you to gotta kind of discount this stuff um, and kind of see really where they do at other places. You know, any of these names that are in this league, which a lot of them are not familiar because they're not, they're not guys that I've uh, covered when some of these names don't really ring a bell, um, it cautions me um, yeah. greatly because uh, we yeah. usually know who who the speed guys are. Yeah. And I think it's just, you know, this is just kind of, like you said, just one more filter for us to keep in mind uh, in the future as we're evaluating prospects uh, because we do that for certain uh, home parks or certain years, like the AAA, you know, the year, what it was, 2019 when they – use the changed ball and every, you know, everyone got a little uh, bit of a power bump uh, or different or certain leagues, uh, you know, like some of the uh, Pacific coast leagues that were, you know, at high altitude parks with high altitudes and, and kind of more inflated uh, power numbers. So, so it's just something to keep in mind as we, uh, as we evaluate specifically steals, which, which we're looking for and are important to us as fantasy players going forward from here. Yeah. Well, that's a great place to end this discussion. We'll uh, probably talk about these rule changes uh, in the future because there's there's a lot of rule changes from shifts to no infielders on the outfield. Uh, we're we're seeing a lot of different uh, experiments by Major League Baseball in the minor leagues and in the independent leagues that are affiliated with the with the majors as well. So, great place to transition and uh, get to our discussion on a debut uh, last week. Uh, uh, Alec Manoa of the Blue Jays, he, he debuted. It was uh, 
a pretty terrific uh, debut for a, for a rookie. Uh, I was looking on NFBC last night, and uh, you know those bids were were flying out the window. I mean, we're we're seeing <laughs> yes, 200, 300, 400, 500. Uh, I will say that I uh, I don't usually talk about uh, my play, but I will say that I was one of those people that won a, a Manoa share. So oh, there you go. Uh, yeah, I was in the two hundreds. I think two seventy something uh, was what I what I bid. Uh, I had money and I you know used it. That's what it's what it's there for. But yeah, so uh, Manoa is a guy that uh, I'm familiar with uh, from my days actually on the amateur side of things uh, on the prep and college level uh i saw him with west virginia in 2019 for the um for the organization that i help out and i actually wrote him up for baseball hq uh in an article with cj abrams that that came out after the draft because obviously nothing nothing i do for the organization can come out before before the draft so but manoa was was this really really like Overpowering would be the word. Um, almost a bully to Kennesaw State's lineup that day. Uh, he threw hard. His fastball was in the mid to high 90s that day. Um, it was mostly two seam fastballs, uh, although he did, you know, sprinkle in a four seam fastball. And he threw a, a pretty devastating slider, which is uh, kind of what we're going to be talking about from his MLB debut. Uh, in my review, I was I had some concerns uh, about him in my scouting report, and the concerns were was that his delivery is is very uh, kind of jerky. I mean, it's not a very clean delivery by any means. Uh, it's cleaned up, don't get me wrong, but it's uh, not very athletic. Uh, you guys didn't see my quotations there, um, <laughs> but uh, not an athletic delivery, and was not showcasing the changeup and. Uh, if you've read my work at Baseball HQ, we talk a lot about how a delivery can can help a pitcher, um, you know, essentially find a feel and corral a, a changeup. And uh, I had serious doubts. And I know that there were some organizational types that had serious doubts about him becoming a starter. However, with like the Blue Jays, you know, you're betting on the overall stuff, finding, you know, maybe that third pitch. Uh and from watching the game on, uh, I, I think it was Thursday or Friday. Uh, Thursday, I, Thursday, Thursday, I believe, yeah. Because yeah. it was supposed to be Wednesday, and then it got rained out. Uh, so it was the uh, first part of a doubleheader with the Yankees. I, and seeing the pitch mix that day was, uh, you know, was very surprising. I didn't really expect that. I hadn't really touched on him this this season. I had mentioned in an article that I wanted to, but I, I didn't. So I know Brent watched the start. I watched the start. Uh, uh, let's have uh, we'll have Brent kind of break things down, and I'll I'll just interject where uh, I feel like uh, my point of view is important. So this was uh, this is my first um, first look at Manoa, and uh, you know obviously the numbers were great, and I think what you know one of the probably the biggest thing that stood out to me is what you said is just the um, is the pitch mix. Uh, you know, the, the four seamer that he used up the, uh, two seamer, uh, which moved a lot, uh, to the arm side and he used, used that up in the zone. Some too, the slider that you talked about, uh, and this, you know, and this 80, 89 to 90 kind of change up that, uh, that, you know, he really threw some, uh, fantastic ones, uh, throughout. 
And I thought, you know, while the, you know, control and kind of command wasn't sort of pristine, um, the, his ability to kind of, to have those four pitches basically, and to use them all uh, at different counts, you know, I think really bodes well for, um, for his future as a, as a starter. Um, one of the things, especially that stood out to me is that, uh, you know, that he used, uh, he used the, his off-speed stuff, the changeup and the slider to hitters from both sides of the plate. So often you think of, uh, you know, if he's facing, he's a, Manoa's a right-handed pitcher, obviously if he's, if he's facing a right-handed batter, uh, it's mainly fastballs and a slider that'll move away. And if he's facing left-handed batters with his arsenal, you know, it's, it's his two fastballs and a changeup again, that's moving away from the hitter. But the, the thing that stood out to me is that he was using the slider against uh, left-handed hitters and the changeup uh, against right-handed guys, uh, as well as, as well as using uh, the pitches, how we normally would think of them. So I think that, is a good sign as far as the confidence to throw those pitches again, you know, because they're kind of natural movement. Um, for instance, if you're using the changeup against a righty, it's kind of gonna is gonna move in towards the batter, uh, and some guys sort of shy away from that uh, because if you miss and and uh, you know let the pitch hang out over the plate, uh, that that changeup it can be you know it can be bad news for a major league hitter that's ready for that. Um, so I thought that that was, uh, that was something that stood out to me, kind of that ability, uh, to do that. And then just his presence on the mound. I mean, he's obviously a, a big, strong guy. Uh, he just really seemed to kind of grasp the moment and kind of seemed like he expected to succeed. Um, mm -hmm. and he did. And, uh, you know, it, it just had that look of kind of belonging out there. I kind of looked at it like this, Brent. Um, now, the, was was the pitches going to the to the glove all the time? Probably not. Uh, you know, going to the catcher's catcher's mitt. Uh, right. But where where when he missed with pitches, he missed up, which he could afford to miss up on, on his pitches. Yeah. Uh, his two seamer wasn't like your true two seamer, the sinker, uh, as as I guess we're calling all two seamers now. Uh, it, it was mostly a pitch that he used up in the zone, and it kind of was a it was a pitch that he felt more confident in on the outer half of the plate. And so yeah. like he didn't feel like he he could get hurt going to the middle of the plate with the pitch. Like uh, where he was missing was on that quadrant of the strike zone, essentially. So the upper upper um, arm side, which arm side for him, or actually not arm side, glove side, I'm sorry. But upper glove side was where he was missing, which was away from right-handed hitters and away from the happy zone. So uh, that was a good thing. Uh, what I really enjoyed about his change-up usage, especially against the right-handed hitters, uh, while he didn't get any swings and misses, I, I don't think, from righties, um, it, it was where he threw the pitch. He threw it under their hands. Uh, and uh, when he missed, he missed inside and you know uh, he did he was crowding guys with it uh, uh and if you can't get your hands extended it's it's very difficult to drive that pitch so yeah. uh while you know i i saw flashes of a changeup that could be above average um i loved how he used it because he used the 
essentially what I will say is a below average changeup. Uh, we saw some good good ones. There was uh, a couple of them to uh, Odor specifically yeah. that were were very good. One he got a swing and miss off of, and one one Odor didn't swing at. Um, but like you know, it's a it's a below average pitch or a fringe average uh, would be what uh, the scouts would call it. Um, I loved how his movement profile was was different between all four pitches. You had a little sink on the sinker, but it was to the glove side mostly. His four seamer was the same sort of arm side, uh, not as great vertical or or horizontal and vertical, not as great as the two seam sinker, but it was still uh, a significant pitch, and he had better command of it to the to the arm side on that one. And then he was throwing his slider, and his slider was kind of at a, if you're looking at a clock, 12 o'clock, 6 o'clock, his slider was ending up at the 8 o'clock uh, um, um, hand, basically. So, like, he, it was a great little profile while his changeup was kind of at the 4 o'clock hand. Uh, so, like, these are things that you look at when you're, when you're evaluating a pitcher is uh, – Maybe they're not hitting the location, but what is their what is their profile doing? And that pitch mix and that pitch design, uh, the Blue Jays and uh, Manoa have done a fantastic job of going to his strengths. And and you rarely, honestly, I rarely see that when a guy comes up. Um, and who knows? He could totally crap the bed the next start and not hit any of those things. But like, you've got to be excited for. The pitch mix, the pitch design, the overall stuff. I mean, we're talking about two potential on the on the 2080 scouting scale. We're talking about two potential 70 pitches with his uh, fastball and his slider. Um, like it's a it's a tremendous uh, tremendous debut, and we're not overhyping it, but it should be hyped. Um, yeah. This this guy's a lot better than we thought he was. Uh, coming into this season. Yeah. I mean, and I, you know, and I think about, uh, you know, a couple additional things. I mean, just the fact that, um, that, that the Jays recognized what they had and put him in triple a to start the year, you know, this was a guy that was uh, a 2019 draft pick. Right. And, you know, had only pitched uh, in short season ball, I think. Uh, in 2019 and so that's a that's a huge jump but he was obviously ready for it um the fact that uh you know the fact that this that this is still his first start like the um what how i think of it is like all the ingredients that we saw here you know is not the finished product yet um i mean there's there's a certain amount of polish i mean he was ready for the moment obviously but uh, this is this is just the start of his kind of career and as as he becomes more comfortable with the hitters and as the catchers become you know that he's working with become more comfortable with his stuff and uh you know they work on game planning uh even more i think it's uh, you know it just it just bodes well for uh continued improvement and the other thing that i you know uh stood out to me too specifically is you know his first uh, his first batter, uh, DJ LeMayu, he walked on four pitches. You know, everything was 94, 96, but it missed. Um, and but after that, you know, after that, he just recovered or, you know, he had one walk the rest of the way, struck out. Uh, what did he strike out seven uh, through his six innings? 
uh, and allowed just those two hits and no runs, obviously. So the fact of, uh, you know, being able to probably control uh, his emotions. He seems like an emotional guy uh, there after after walking his uh, the leadoff batter of his career kind of in four pitches. Uh, again, sort of says a lot about um, his ability. And I think for us as fantasy players, kind of reasons to kind of be uh, optimistic or excited about um, where uh, where he goes from here. Yeah. So very exciting debut. It's a guy that will probably check in later, maybe. Uh... Maybe never check in on uh, on the prospect uh, um, prospect. Uh, hold on. Yeah, very interesting debut, and uh, he's definitely a guy that we'll keep tabs on throughout the rest of the season. Uh, very excited to see where it goes, and you know, really and truly, it might be the most significant starting pitching debut this season, uh, especially since Mackenzie Gore has been struggling in AAA with his uh, control. And um, you know, I, I don't, I don't know if the Marlins will will bring up Max Meyer, uh, who I hope to see soon. Uh, um, so, like, this is the most significant debut that we'll probably cover on this on this podcast of pitching prospects. Yeah, so, and I just I also just thought about it too. I mean, we talked a couple of weeks ago uh, in our first episode actually about Logan Gilbert, uh, similarly uh, sort of ranked and and uh, hyped sort of pitcher starting pitcher and just uh and this is no knock on gilbert it's just when you look at those when you compare these two debuts uh they're just very different ones as far as what it to me what it seemed like how ready the pitchers were kind of for that moment um and again that's not that's not to say that gilbert won't uh get better from here or they won't be comparable pitchers uh it's just it's just the differences you think about when you put those two stars side by side yeah, and and you know it's obvious that they probably shouldn't have been ranked where we had them ranked. Uh, uh, both guys shouldn't have been so close to each other, especially you know uh, Manoa didn't have a perfect start by any means, but like uh, the stuff is so much better than Logan Gilbert's is right now, and probably probably into the future. Well, we got a lot of live looks this weekend at a bunch of different prospects. Uh, some we'll cover here. Some will be in my eyes have it um, articles this week. Uh, actually, the most significant guy we saw this week was was Brent. Brent, you saw Austin Martin. What did what did you think about Austin Martin? Yes, I got to see Austin Martin. Uh, he was the fifth overall pick uh, of the Blue Jays from last year's draft in 2020. Uh, came out of a high prof- profile program there at uh, Vanderbilt, a college player, of course. Um, at Vanderbilt, he played several different positions, and uh, that was one of the big kind of questions um, coming into the season is is where he was going to fit positionally. Uh, the Blue Jays started him out in Double A, uh, which again is a, a pretty big uh, pretty big jump um, from the college ranks, but not but not too much. And so, having uh, several games to see him uh, with that New Hampshire club, the Jays double A club playing uh, Somerset, which is the Yankees affiliate. Uh, I got to check out uh, Martin. One of the, um, as I said, one of the kind of big things uh, about him is, is positionally where he's going to play, like where he's going to fit teams. Of course, in the draft, most, most usually just draft 
talent at that point and kind of try to figure out the positions later. But the Jays obviously uh, with uh, several uh, young um, kind of young and established players in the infield, uh, you know, it was interesting. It's going to be interesting to see how they employ Martin. And so he's pretty much played shortstop uh, all season for the New Hampshire club so far in the first month. Um, And what I saw uh, kind of both in the pregame kind of infield practice, as well as um, the chances he got during the game was a, you know, fairly solid shortstop um, in the games anyway, uh, made the plays that kind of uh, he was expected to do um, made one kind of more difficult play that I can remember, you know, sort of a, a backhand uh, from not super deep, but in, in the hole and kind of uh, made a strong, accurate throw uh, across a diamond. <clears throat> but I, you know, but in reflecting about uh, how he played the position, uh, you know, I'm always kind of trying to think, will that or how will that translate to um, to the majors to, you know, two levels up? Um, and I'm not 100 uh, percent confident, I guess, that that he is, you know, he is a major league shortstop. There wasn't quite the uh, athleticism or kind of wow plays either from his glove or his hands or his arm that said, yes, that's a that's a surefire MLB shortstop. Now, sometimes, you know, we get these smaller looks. This was uh, three games and, uh, you know, he may not have been tested quite as much as as what you would like to see. Um, But I but I do, you know, I I think it's, it's for me, it's kind of on the on the cusp of of if he is able to, um, you know, if he was at the major league level, uh, would he be, would he be, would he bring enough defensively to kind of stay at that uh, shortstop position? Yeah. I think it's fine. You know, I think it's fine for them, for the Jays to kind of have him there, uh, put him there for now and kind of see what they have. And certainly being a shortstop gets him to move, uh, you know, it gives him the chance to, if they need to move, move off a of shortstop to second base. He played some center field uh, at Vanderbilt uh, and certainly has the athleticism, I would think, to play there. Uh, I know he played some third at Vanderbilt also. Um, but I, th- I think it's, you know, it's, it's interesting, certainly, and one of the big questions is kind of where he's going to end up uh, positionally. Well, we're scouting uh, for fantasy purposes, we don't really pay attention too much to the defense. Uh, but but when you're when you're scouting for an organization, or if you're scouting for, um, you know, just scouting in general, you're you're looking at defense with a closer uh, eye to it. Uh, and one of the things that I like to do when I look at a guy is try to judge uh, the level of plays that he does. Uh, and it sounded like on my scale, I have a one through five scale. It sounded like uh, uh, the the ball in the hole might have been a four. Uh, I don't know how how far he was into the hole. Um, yeah, uh, I don't know fair. how he. Yeah, I don't know how his movements were uh, as well. You know, footwork and that kind of thing. But yeah. one of the things that I've cautioned people about with Austin Martin is the dude had never really played shortstop at Vanderbilt, and he was drafted as a shortstop and. Uh, usually premium defenders are going to find their way to shortstop. He played a lot of third base and a lot of center field, as Brent said. Uh, 
Um, and one of the questions that a lot of evaluators had is whether whether he had the proper footwork and uh, the range at shortstop. Um, uh, he's a quick enough guy uh, to be able to handle the position. So Brent's evaluation of the defense there is is very relevant in fantasy because uh, if you're looking at a guy uh, at shortstop, uh, that's one of the premium positions. Uh, and if he's able to be successful uh, at a premium position, he's going to uh, you know, essentially need to be able to make all those plays. We've seen other shortstops that had had question marks that were shortstops for a while. Uh, and I, I'm thinking of a guy I saw a lot named Jorge Polanco of the Twins, where where they yeah. move him off the position very quickly within his major league career. It's like three years as a regular, and then they went and found uh, Andleton Simmons. Uh, uh, so, like, you're looking at those type of guys – uh, we've got we've got Bo Bichette at shortstop for the Blue Jays. Uh, we got Kevin Biggio at second base. Uh, maybe third base is is kind of his way into that lineup. Um, yeah. Maybe the yeah, versatility that was- is that you know maybe maybe he's like kind of like Goriel was uh, when Goriel kind of established himself before moving to the outfield where where he might be playing a little defense on the infield a little in the outfield. And, he's, and, you know, that year that Goriel had uh, that eligibility was great. Like, you know, he was yeah. a phenomenal fantasy guy at that point. Uh, so, like, that's kind of what we're looking at, Martin. If he has several different uh, positional availability uh, in fantasy, it's it's a win-win for all of his managers. Yeah, and I think that that's, that's possible, um, you know, and, and, like, someone like Biggio, even though he's not hitting now – uh, you know, certainly it is that too, kind of with the, uh, in, in a lot of leagues, second, third and outfield eligible. And, and given the trends of, of the majors of and how uh, some teams more than others, but, you know, are, are using guys in that manner. Uh, I think he sort of, uh, Martin sort of definitely fits into that mold of someone that can play multiple positions. So, I mean, my luck would say, you know, in a pinch, could he fill in at shortstop at the major league level? Uh, yeah, probably. But I think you're right. I mean, I didn't, I didn't necessarily. It didn't seem like I saw the kind of the range and the sort of strong, accurate arm um, that that I that you would expect to have a, a no doubt kind of major league uh, shortstop there. I, you know, I I see. You know, I know I don't think he's played there at all, but it, it looks to me like a skill set that could play well at second uh yeah. or or center field and that's no knock on anyone uh it's just that uh i think that that i wonder if those two specifically uh might be you know might be in his future more than third base because again i didn't usually think of a third baseman having a really strong arm and while the throws i saw were uh were accurate and kind of uh competitive uh, from shortstop, it wasn't a no doubt. Wow, throw across the diamond. Yeah. Uh, you know that that arm would kind of uh, be a good fit at third. So we'll see. So, uh, it'll, yeah. be, it'll be inter- interesting to see how uh, how New Hampshire, how uh, the Blue Jays kind of play it as far as how long they uh, you know how long they have him at shortstop. And granted, you know this is uh, again this is an aggressive sort of assignment. Uh, for someone. And like you said, uh, if he hasn't played much shortstop, 
uh, which he has not in the, in the collegiate ranks before. Um, it can be, you know, it can be just getting acclimated out there too. Yeah. So we'll transition a bit to his hit tool, uh, which was yeah. lauded uh, uh, during his draft year. Uh, what did you see in your uh, in your three game evaluation? Yeah, it was really interesting. Um, <clears throat> there was uh, there was some. Uh, I wasn't wowed with the hit tool either, and I know that uh, that was that was talked about as kind of one of his uh, great attributes. Um, and again, maybe this is maybe this is tied to uh, the quality of competition and kind of just the first month of the season. But, you know, there were several, there was, uh, you could see some pitch recognition stuff. He drew some deep counts, drew a couple of walks. Um, but there were a couple of times where there was definitely hittable pitches that he either missed, uh, fouled off, or just uh, took for strikes that kind of surprised me from someone with um, his reputation there. There were some times where uh, he chased a little bit, kind of high in the zone, uh, stuff that he uh you know, is unlikely to be able to hit hard. And, and there was some swing and miss there. Uh, and I saw um, the Somerset pitchers kind of repeat and kind of go back up there, kind of that would indicate maybe they were aware of uh, he was having trouble with that pitch. Um, but it all, you know, it wasn't all negative either. Um, I, I was I was intrigued by his, his swing because uh, one of the, one of the, uh, I don't know, criticisms or observations or questions was, you know, is he going to be able to hit for power um, or is he going to be more uh, line drive sort of gap power? And, and definitely uh, in batting practice, especially, um, and, and some in games, I mean, his, his swing is definitely uh, more of a kind of gap to gap, almost opposite field swing. I mean, he'll, he was able to fight off a couple balls, uh, you know, that were that were in and and drive a couple to kind of right center field as a right-handed batter. Um, but I didn't see tons of uh, you know tons of pull side power. Now um, I did in the in the last game uh, he took a uh, when he was facing uh, Luis Heel, uh, one of the Yankees uh, top starters who we'll talk about in a bit, um, took a first pitch, uh, first pitch off, uh, first pitch slider and, uh, and really blasted it pull side to the wall, got a double out of it. Um, and really showed, you know, that swing had a good loft. He definitely recognized it and went to the pull side, but there was just a lot of, uh, a lot of kind of opposite field, um, contact sort of gap to gap stuff or singles that he'd hit in the right field, which again are, um, is, is a, is a good thing as far as, uh, keeping his average up and being able to use the whole field and, and hit it where it's pitched. But I can see, uh, I could see certainly the questions about, will he be able to consistently, uh, you know, get around on hard stuff inside and it has, is, is his swing going to be conducive to kind of the power that you would, uh, hope for, um, as a, uh, you know, as a high pick player like that. Yeah. And I think that like we get, uh, when we're evaluating people, uh, we, we see that type of hitter and we, we, you get kind of excited, but you, you know, especially on the, on the, 
prep and in, in the college ranks. But uh, very few times does uh, a guy not lose something in his swing uh, by opening everything up, essentially. Uh, he's an inside-out swinger, and that's what he naturally is. He doesn't really have anything that carries the profile. Uh, yeah. And, uh, you know, you don't want position flexibility to be that thing that carries the profile. So um, yeah. there are some concerns. Would you agree? Yeah, I think so. It's just as far as kind of, uh, and again, it's early, early in his career. Um, they, you know, they could work on adjustments. And, and on, on the positive side, uh, I feel at least a lot better uh, seeing him smack that double off the left center field wall than if I hadn't seen yeah, that. I mean, it was on a, it, it was, it was definitely, you know, it was on a breaking pitch. He waited on it, recognized it and opened up and, and nailed it, uh, in, in that case. Um, but, uh, just the fact that the, the, a lot of the at-bats I saw were him, yes, inside outing balls to the other way, you know, for several for hits and, and, and uh, he played other aspects of the game well. Uh, you could tell he had good instincts a couple times in the field, uh, ran the bases well, went first and third on a, on a questionable, you know, on, on kind of a no, uh, on a questionable single as far as like, uh, was not just a, yeah, it was kind of an add a ball that uh, he made a good call on and, and went first or third on. So there's aspects of, uh, of that, I think that are well too, but it's uh yeah, as he stays here in the East with uh, Toronto's couple affiliates, uh, certainly someone that I'll keep tabs on going forward as far as uh, watching his specific uh, kind of swing and hitting development um, in that area. Yeah. Well, last week I got a double-A look at uh, uh, Cubs catcher Miguel Amaya. Uh, and Miguel Amaya was a was a guy that has kind of teetered on and off many top 100 lists the last few years. And uh, usually, you know, when you get a one game look, you're not not 100 percent. You know, you don't see everything that you need to see. And, you know, for most of that look, I didn't see everything that I needed to see. And then then I was able to see everything I needed to see. Thankfully, <laughs> uh and, and I say thankfully because uh, I don't usually like games where there's a lot of walks and a lot of hits because they go for a long, long time. Uh, but there was a lot of walks and a lot of hits uh, by Chattanooga Lookouts uh, pitching. So I got to see uh, uh, Maya uh, for like five or six plate appearances. And uh, the first plate appearance, he hit a no-doubt home run, maybe one of the hardest-hit home runs that I'll see all year. Uh, it was his first home run of the year. Uh, and, you know, he was a guy I also got to see in batting practice, too. And I got to see, you know, his swing plane and, and where he wants the ball to be able to hit it out. Uh, he's a very powerful dude. He's he's uh, gained a lot of strength since since a ball when he first really kind of popped onto the scene. Uh, but his issue is and it's been his issue throughout the minor leagues is that he hits the ball on the ground an awful lot. And I haven't seen it improved yet. You know, you get a middle in one one fastball when a guy has walked the last two or three batters, you park it out of the park because you're looking for that pitch and that guy's just trying to make a strike. But uh, what I saw was a guy that his swing plane is uh, conducive to ground ball contact. Uh, I saw a guy with a huge hole in his swing on the, uh, the upper part of the strike zone. 
And I also saw a dude that was uh, had a good good ability to recognize uh, where pitches were and where where he could hit them and where he couldn't. Uh, so like this was a guy that was beatable. We're not talking about a high average. Uh, he's gonna need that power to play. He'll walk a bit, um, but like he needs that that swing trajectory is gonna be the key for him to be a starting player or for being a backup player. Um, yeah. Uh, the uh, behind the plate, there's some question marks with his receiving. Uh, he had an awful eighth inning with a lefty on the mound uh, that he uh, just dropped uh, two pitches, and there was one pitch that was in the dirt that uh, got away from him as well. Uh, his throwing arm, he's he has one of the quicker exchanges. He has an absolute uh, um, gun to to second base. Uh, like there's things to like and there's things to dislike, but I don't, I don't really believe that he's a top 100 guy. I think that we've uh, we've wanted to see, we saw the power, we saw that kind of stuff, we saw the arm, um, and we wanted to elevate it a bit. So um, with Amaya, I've kind of, you know, maybe downgraded my evaluation on him. Uh, the actual potential rating will be in my article when I do end up writing him up. I might actually wait to see him again. Uh, but really, truly, I kind of have him as in, in, in baseball and in regular scouting. We have we put roles on guys um, and like a role five would be an average player. The roles go up to eight. And uh, for me, he's more than a role three, which would be a call up, you know, guy up and down. Uh, and for me, he's more of, you know, he fits a role four, which is a platoon bench catcher. Uh, and so like, if I were turning him in today and not waiting to write him up, uh, to see him again, uh, I would turn him in as a platoon bat, um, um, with maybe a little more upside if he can get that swing. So I'd probably call him a seven rating on our scale, which is seven ratings, an average player in fantasy. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, basically, yeah. I mean, as we're all kind of, uh, looking and in tune for, uh, you know, if we want to, add a catcher catching prospect to our kind of fantasy farm teams. Uh, you know, there's some of us that are, you know, always thinking about that because they are so valuable at the major league level. If they develop, uh, it sounds like Amaya is, uh, not quite there yet as far as one to kind of invest in, like you said, he'll have some time, uh, to see if he can develop that swing, but a ground ball hitting catcher, um, with some, you know, some defensive questions. Yeah. Uh, it's probably not a, Probably not a fantasy star in the making, let's say. Yeah, I mean, it's, uh, you know, I was thinking when I was there, I was enamored with uh, Kevin Plawicki in the lower yeah. minors. I thought that he was, uh, loved how he made contact, his at-bats and stuff. But, like, yeah. you know, you learn throughout, and you learn that, like, his, his swing didn't have much loft to it. And, uh, you know, he, he's a much better defender than Amaya ever probably will ever be. But, like, uh, Plowicki is uh, a guy who makes a lot of contact at third base. And I know that, you know, being a Mets fan and, and, and following the Indians pretty closely and, and those kind of things, you, you get used to seeing the five, four, three double play out of your catcher. Uh, you yeah. start not wanting to see him on the field anymore. <laughs> so like, that's, yeah. that's my concern with the Maya and, but, but I mean, there'll be, you know, uh, with Contreras, uh, you know, getting a little older and, you know, getting closer to free agency. Maybe uh, there, there's a role for him in Chicago. Maybe it's somewhere else. Um, yeah. 
So during that same series uh, that Brent got to see Austin Martin, he also got to see the Double A Yankees farmhand, a farmhand, Luis Gill. Uh, Luis Gill is a pitcher that I was familiar with from the 2019 season, where he pretty much dominated uh, a fairly decent Rome Braves team uh, um, with a uh, fastball that he basically uh, kept on the upper parts of the the strike zone, commanded it well, threw hard. Uh, there were some breaking pitches, uh, a slider and a changeup that, you know, you kind of had to squint a bit to see if uh, this was a starting pitching profile. But like along with his teammate, Alexander Vizcaino, uh, they were the most promising prospects on that uh, that low A team at that time. Now it's a high A team. Uh, but yeah, um, you got to see Gil and I know that you were you came away impressed, correct? Yeah, um, I I did. I, I hung around uh, for a second game of a doubleheader. I got a doubleheader in uh, because of the weather here. And uh, Heel, uh, G-I-L, again, was pitching uh, for the Double A Yankees. Um, and he was uh, he was impressive. Um, like you said, he had a, a fastball that he often, you know, worked up in the zone. It was coming in at 95, 96, topping out at 97. Uh, he also moved it around some, although, like I said, he liked it up top, but he, you know, moved it in and out. Um, and a couple times, especially when he was able to work it, uh, inside effectively to right-handers, um, it was pretty, pretty devastating. He got, uh, got a, a bunch of swings and misses with it. Um, the slider was 84, 86 and really ran, you know, really ran away from right-handed hitters um was was giving them trouble it seems like it was uh you know came came out of the same slot as a fastball and with that uh you know kind of with that sort of 10 mile an hour differential um the the tunneling effect uh certainly gave the hitters some trouble and then he also had a change up that was uh 83 84 um that uh, was surprising too. It had a really good arm action on it. Um, was quite deceptive. Um, he worked it kind of into his repertoire against both right-handers and left-handers, uh, which again was uh, impressive as somewhat in the way that we were talking about, like uh, Manoa did earlier. Um, but really, um, it really dominated this double uh, A uh, lineup. Uh, during uh, during this game, he retired the first ten in a row. Um, and when when he did get when some runners did get on base, uh, it did seem to disrupt his rhythm a bit. Uh, took a little longer um, release point and kind of command wavered. So I think you know I don't know if it's something about pitching out of the stretch or just kind of the extra stress of having uh, runners on. Um, but that's certainly something to, for him to work on and to kind of keep in mind, uh, as we're evaluating him, um, you know, the pitch mix allowed him kind of later in the game to, to go more off speed, more sliders and change-ups uh, than earlier when, when I almost wondered if, you know, he went too far away from the fastball, uh, because it was so overpowering and he could command it. Um, but again, uh, you know, certainly, this is still his first month in double A too. Um, and I think, you know, it's just something to keep in mind as far as, 
you know, as he moves up the ladder and works with better catchers and, and sequencing and, and uh, preparation, if, if maybe that won't get better. But I definitely saw, you know, I definitely saw a starter, I think, with, with um, you know, strikeout ability, you know, maybe as a number three. I mean, his mechanics were really clean and really repeatable, which I think helped uh, play up a couple of the pitches. Again, being able to repeat that slot. Um, and he seems to, you know, kind of have the physique to start. He's a very athletic uh, guy, high-waisted, um, you know, like I said, a simple kind of three-quarters uh, release. And, uh, you know, the velocity comes out easy. It didn't seem to be a lot of effort. Um, so, yeah, he went, he went six innings, just allowed two hits, an earned run, uh, just walked one and had eight Ks. So it was, uh, it was, certainly, it was certainly worth, uh, worth sticking around for. Um, and I think someone that I'm, you know, more interested in now, uh, given he did that at the double A level and has had several good starts at that level, than I would have been, uh, than I would have been before the season. I understand like Yankee fans, uh, and, and of course, fantasy, uh, fantasy managers all, you know, kind of rave about Luis Medina, who's another guy that I've seen in the Yankees organization. Um, yeah. But it's more, you know, you're 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 raving about that guy because of his overall stuff, but uh, not really the the best pitcher at this point. Uh, and I always look at a guy like Gil or Gil um, ends up being a dude that kind of falls under a little bit of the radar because he has that very uh, high profile teammate at various points. They're they're not they're not teammates right now. Um, yeah. Uh, one of them's in high A, and of course, uh, Heel is in uh, um, double A. But um, right. I think he kind of is hidden in plain sight for a long time uh, because of his teammates. Uh, and Contreras was on that that high A team as yep. well. So uh, we Absolutely. talked about Rones each uh, Contreras last week. Um, yeah. uh, so, like, this is a guy that's probably available in a lot of different formats right now. Um, would you recommend him being a pitcher since he is in Double A of uh, having having on your roster? I think it's someone certainly to uh, to consider, uh, depending on the you know the number of uh, reserve spots you have. Uh, you know, in, in more in keeper leagues than in uh, in one year leagues. I I you know given that given that he's just starting out uh, in Double A here, even though uh, it's been an impressive start. Uh, I think, uh, and given that the Yankees are sort of uh, would are, are figuring to be kind of in the race later in this year, I think it would be sort of a stretch to think that he would uh, make his major league debut in this season. Yeah, uh, I, I think they would give him a, a good bit, a good bit of Double A experience before moving him up to Triple uh, A. But uh, but to the question, yes, I think it's someone um, that we that we should that uh, fantasy especially keeper and dynasty folks should be considering if, if he's uh, available in there, given the success uh, that he has, at, has had it here yeah. early on at that double A. Yeah. It sounds like a top 100 midseason arm. I, yeah. I think that, I think he will be on in consideration for me, uh, mm -hmm. certainly in that, uh, in that mix, given his level and uh, you know, his results so far. Yeah, and uh, if we got any Twins fans out here, this is the the yeah. return for uh, Jake Cave. Uh, so yeah. I know you guys have enjoyed Jake Cave, and uh, this is what the Yankees got because 
uh, the Yankees dominate the lower levels. And and I, I'll be honest, like the Twins have have uh, maybe learned from this and has uh, have gotten complex scouts since since this time. But there was a time that the Yankees um, kind of had a monopoly. A few other organizations like the Rays and the Brewers, uh, they kind of had a monopoly on the on the complex scouting. Um, essentially, the spring training complexes, which are also where the Gulf Coast League and the Arizona League operate out of. Uh, so, like we, uh, you know, they basically took a player that they liked. Uh, maybe it was analytics. Maybe it was from scouting. And uh, um, here we are, uh, top 100 guy that got traded for Jay Cave. Yeah, yeah. It's a. Uh, I certainly got a uh, a. Uh... A, a tweet from a Twins fan that uh, was lamenting uh, that Jake Cave deal, yep. uh, which was <laughs> interesting. So I know you got to see uh, a, a Red Sox starter, uh, Brian Bello, last week, um, who has uh, gotten off to a good start. Uh, what can you tell us about uh, the pitcher Bello, which I think was on the Greenville Club? Yes, Greenville, the Greenville Drive. Uh, yes. Uh, Bello was a fairly skinny right-hander. He's put on some some weight since we last saw him in 2019. I, I didn't get an opportunity to see him at Greenville the last time, but I had watched some video of him prior to the start. And, uh, you know, he's, he's put on some poundage. Uh, um, he was sitting 97-99 in the first inning. Um, oh, wow. Pretty, yeah, it was, it was a pretty, pretty big uh, velocity jump since uh, a lot of people had him in the low 90s prior to – Prior to this season, uh, he kind of settled in the into the 95 to 98 range for most of the game. Most of his fastballs were actually 97. He, uh, I charted this whole game and like uh, 97 dwarfs any of the other other ratings. So we'll say that his average fastball was about 97 miles per hour. Um, there's some questions with that fastball. The fastball doesn't really have a movement profile to it. Uh, uh, Bryce Ball, who's a Atlanta Braves prospect, a first base prospect out of Dallas Baptist uh, University, uh, nearly missed a home run in the first in the second inning on a uh, very straight 99 mile per hour fastball. Um, actually, my my velocity actually picked up his uh, velocity off the bat at 107 miles per hour. So uh, uh, sometimes a radar gun does that. Uh, yeah. So yeah. Uh, but but I confirmed with another scout it was a 97 mile per hour fastball, uh, which totally overpowered um, the Rome Braves lineup. Um, but sure. uh, as it moves up, we're a little concerned about that profile, and uh, it, it's kind of a pitch that probably works better in relief, um, and and probably even plays up in relief. We're talking maybe this is a 99, 98-99 uh, average pitch in relief. Um, but, you know, the kid still has some time, of course. Uh, the pitch that was phenomenal was actually the slider. Uh, kid used it at will. It had good tilt. It was uh, He was able to um, variate the spin profile, um, mostly by, um, by gripping the ball harder. Uh, uh, so sometimes you would get a, a pitch that kind of swept a bit. Um, but most of the sliders were very sharp, tight, and... Uh, devastating uh you know, to righties and lefties uh he used it effectively against uh, uh braves prospect michael harris who we talked about last week he used it effectively against him uh 
And it was virtually, I mean, it was the it was the workhorse of all of his swing and misses. Uh, in the first two innings alone, he had eight swings and misses off the off the slider. Uh, it, it was a devastating pitch. Uh, yeah. And then and then as the game came on, he game went went through. He also threw a changeup, uh, and the changeup was was not optimal. Um, he basically spiked it almost every time he threw it. And then when he finally like tried to, you know, when he finally, you know, made a little adjustment, he basically gave the pitch away, slowed down his uh, delivery. Uh, the the delivery is not the most athletic. It's it's a quick uh, reliever like delivery. Um, you know, he's he's going to be a kid that uh, will get some hype and like he, um, you know, the Red Sox can afford to be a bit um, cautious with him. Uh, mm-hmm. And get him developed, maybe get that third pitch developed. Uh, but more than likely, we're looking at a a a guy that's going to most likely be a relief pitcher. And because of the slider, um, having a swing and miss ability, uh, he would have gotten swing and miss against any level with that slider. To be honest, uh, yeah. um, we are looking at a guy that's a uh, most likely a high end reliever. Um, yeah. So so someone that could kind of be in the you know, late stages of the game, even yeah. uh, possibly at the major league level, because of that, um, because of those two uh, excellent pitches, like you said. Um, what was his uh, stamina like? Like, how far did he go? He went uh, in, yeah. in the game, and yeah. yeah, he went five innings, and um, it, I mean, he he maintained velocity throughout. Um, he did yeah. also. I just. I have a note. I think he tried to throw a curveball. It was so bad that like uh, <laughs> it was at eighty miles per hour. And at first, that I, I didn't know what it was because his slider yeah. was uh, in the mid to high eighties. Uh, right. Um, yeah. And his changeup was was uh, ninety ninety one. So yeah. Um, like it, it just it was a bad pitch, and I hope I never right. see it again. Kind yeah. of thing. Yeah. And and I, his I, delivery. I, he's yeah. he's a three quarter guy. So like his delivery is not really. Um, uh, the way he delivers the ball uh, isn't really cohesive to throwing a true curveball. So, like, even at best, it's probably a slurve, and it probably will just mix in with his slider. Uh, yeah, so. yeah. I'm I'm familiar with uh, seeing those types of pitches, <laughs> especially in the in the lower levels. Uh, yeah. Sort of come out of nowhere, and you're like, ah, what was that? I guess that was the uh, whatever curveball. Or- yeah. Uh, but, uh, yeah, good and, luck and with that. another benefit is he's around the strike zone and, um, you know, that's, what's going to hurt his fastball. He's going to have to hit spots and he wasn't mm-hmm. necessarily hitting spots against, uh, the Rome Braves. Uh, so like the, there's some development there. I just don't see any movement coming from that pitch, uh, yeah. it, it, at 90, 92, 93, 94, uh, two years ago, it was a straight pitch. Uh, and it's still at that point now. So, yeah. Um, yeah, yeah. And, it, and it's just, again, a sort of testament to, uh, you know, velocity isn't everything. While that's, you know, while this pitcher, while Bello is certainly the hardest thrower of the guys we're talking about, uh, have talked about today, uh, of these pitchers, um, you know, the fact that there's uh, not as much movement there and you get someone like uh, Manoa and to sort of heal to a, a lesser extent um, that has a lot of movement on it. Um, you feel better about kind of projecting uh, where they're gonna where they're gonna end up and in, in kind of what role and how effective they're gonna be um, that you know that are able to combine you know maybe a little less velocity but definitely more 
uh, definitely more movement, more spin. So I think that kind of uh, wraps up our live looks uh, between uh, those four guys. Uh, we might actually have to pull some live looks out from uh, this week since we both saw a lot of players uh, for next week because uh, as of right now, I see my schedule. My schedule is pretty weak. How's your schedule? Mine, uh, I, I am going to probably get to uh, Aberdeen, uh, high A Orioles this week. Um, but the main focus uh, for me is going to be the uh, Hickory Club, which is high A Texas. Um, they don't have um, top, top guys on there, um, but I'm interested in seeing uh, shortstop Jonathan Ornelas and uh, catcher David Garcia. And there's a couple um, interesting pitchers there. Uh, they have a, a right-hander, Ronnie Henriquez, and a, and a lefty high pick from a couple of years ago, Cole Raggins. Uh, who's going through a couple of Tommy John surgeries. So I'm interested to see um, again, maybe I'll be surprised and these guys will uh, impress me though. The one disappointing thing is I was, uh, I was trying to line up a, uh, a look at uh, Orioles starter, Grayson Rodriguez, um, but just a couple of days ago, uh, the Orioles uh, took him out of high A and promoted him up to double A buoy. Um, so I'll, uh, again, that's a, team that I probably can get to uh Adley Rutschman's on that team so uh with those two for sure um I will attempt to get some looks at Bowie Bowie yeah. at some point yeah so uh my my week is not a strong week uh both teams uh both my local affiliates were in town last week uh Rome had been in town for two weeks uh and they're both out of town this week um and looking at the schedule uh, within my radius, I have basically two places to go. Uh, I have Augusta, which is a it's a hike for me, and uh, uh, I'm going out of town next week, so I didn't really want to take the weekend to go to Augusta and be away from my wife. So, um, happy wife, happy life, right? Um, uh, so uh, instead, I am kind of focusing possibly on going to Gwinnett on Wednesday night. Interesting um, prospects. It's uh. Gwinnett versus Jacksonville. So that is AAA Braves versus AAA Marlins. Uh, and, you know, specifically the guy I would want to look at is Jesus Sanchez, who's an oh, outfielder yeah. for, the, for, the, for the Marlins. Uh, but then again, I, you know, looked at potential pitching matchups. And uh, the pitching matchup uh, that I would get would be uh, Kyle Muller versus. Uh, um, not the most optimal Marlin uh, AAA arm. Uh, so I'm a little apprehensive of making that trip at this time. I might watch it on video. Uh, uh, MILB is uh, uh, evaluator's best friend this year, uh, just like it was uh, uh, in previous years. Um, so I might try to see if I can find something in the video about Jesus Sanchez to see if he's made some adjustments. And if I can't, then I probably head on down there on Wednesday night uh, to see Jesus uh, Sanchez. Excellent. Live. Yeah, I know. Yeah, that's that's great. He certainly is off to a hot start. Uh, a guy that's uh, you know was a top 100 guy and has sort of taken a while. I know you uh, have written him up a couple times in the past, um, but uh, yeah, let us know how that let us know how that works out for sure. Definitely will. And uh, with that, I think that's the end of uh, the, our third episode. We've gotten through three of these. Uh, Next week, uh, same time, uh, we'll be uh, recording a podcast, and uh, uh, hopefully it's an exciting one as well. Uh, 
We've got some plans that we're not necessarily going to make public yet, but it should be a very interesting time uh, next week. Looking forward to it. Again, you can uh, reach us both via email at theeyeshabit at baseballhq.com with any uh, questions and or suggestions or feedback. Or you can always uh, hit us up on Twitter. Chris is at Chris at, or excuse me, Chris is at C underscore blessing. And I'm at uh, Brent HQ. Congrats, man. Thank you. We got through it. Uh, Look forward to, um, you know, seeing more baseball and talking about it next week. Have a great week, everyone. See ya.